The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 66 of Doom View, Doomfist View. I'm Chan V. Actually, it's the overview. But since we have Doomfist, we gotta have to leave it that way. Uh, but welcoming ZP. What's up? Uh, he's uh, obviously looking a lot different today. What's up, man? Uh, I'm enjoying the summer sun. Uh, and you know, oh, some people might think that my webcam is just broken here. But realistically speaking, yeah, bring out your power glove for a test ride. I will say though, Doomfist view, we are trying way too hard today. <laughs> we are, we are. I'm going cheese. That's that's just how it has to be. Jake, what's up, man? From uh, LG Evil. He's hey, how's it going? Guys. It's great to be back. Yeah, yeah, man. Still got that empty house there, I see. Oh, yes. Living in the basement, you know. Obviously, I sleep <laughs> on the wooden floor behind me. Uh, in case anyone was confused about that. Well, some people stream from shuds, Jake. I'm, I'm an esports monk. I'm an ascetic. <laughs> really? Oh, man. Okay, guys. Well, anyways, we had a huge announcement like three hours ago. I think it was three, like maybe three or four hours ago. And it's something that a lot of us anticipated, which was Doomfist was coming out very soon. In fact, a lot of people had already seen some possible leaks in era logs that Doomfist was coming out with the Summer Games. Well, it looks like that is exactly true, right? Because the Summer Games starts in August. Doomfist was released in the PTR today. So, you know, four weeks later, that's probably going to be that event. And we're, we have Doomfist now on PTR, and everybody is currently playing it. So um, I guess first question is, how much have you guys gotten a chance to play it so far? Well, for me, I got about 15 minutes before the show began. In <laughs> fact, I may or may not be in PTR right now. And really, <laughs> oh, you mentioned man. the summer games. My Dude. only question is, is there going to be Karate uh, Doomfist? And is he going to have a red color to it? Because if not, it is an absolutely wasted opportunity. Karate Doomfist? We do need, we need Black Belt Doomfist. Uh, oh, I, I need a legally acceptable Ken ripoff. Oh, <laughs> nice. That, that's what I want. Okay, okay. I was thinking you'd, you'd go like Daoism or something like that. You're going Ken? You're going the Ken route. Shoryuken. He literally has a Shoryuken. How do you not? <laughs> oh, true. Okay, all right. I, come true. on. Okay, up okay. your FTC I, knowledge. I totally missed that reference there okay got you now got you okay well um i've gotten a chance to play it uh, i think i played about seven rounds of uh uh the no limits you know like the arcade styles just just so everybody could play it uh and uh, it's it was really really fun i mean obviously absolutely powerful um but i guess first impressions and then we'll go into all the abilities and all that good stuff so first impressions of doomfist um I played him for about like an hour in just custom games with uh, a teammate. We were just like testing him and testing interactions and like seeing how, uh, you know, getting all the damage down and figuring out how, how combos are going to work, what the, mm -hmm. what the, what the setups are be, what the counterplays are going to be. Yeah. Uh, first impressions, he looks really strong. He looks like he has a ton of burst damage that is essentially uncounterable except <laughs> by dodging. Yeah. Um, like, the, I mean, the only, like, you know, the only counter to that burst damage is going to be really high mobility. So characters like, Reinhardt, even Diva has been a classic, like, you know, counter to aggressive dive damage. And Diva's going to do almost nothing against Doomfist. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she can deal with the shotgun, but she can't stop you from hitting massive, you know, uh, you know, just the, the melee combos or your, your, your cooldown combos. And then, you know, you stack that on top of something like a Genji Dash and a Winston Leap. 
And it very quickly turns into a situation in which there doesn't seem to be a way to play defensively. It seems like this character is going to force teams to go all out on offense, even when they're playing defense. Wow. So it should be kind okay. of fun to play. Good luck watching it. Just to pile on <laughs> wow, to that, as far man. as it goes, maybe I'm misreading the abilities here. We have very little play time, but yeah. I would say the bigger thing for me, and we're talking about in the pre-show, is that it feels like a bad meta to be a burly German, man. Uh, now Ryan Reinhardt already mm-hmm. had to deal with people flanking him from behind, but now he has to deal with getting uppercut into the air and thrown back by rocket punches. Uh, kind of seems rough to be a He's- Ryan main at this point when Ryan was already an endangered species might be wrong in terms of how it plays out but it does seem really rough for Reinhardt yeah he's just a shooting dummy at this point I mean he's already a shooting dummy for tracers and and uh you know characters like that and dive now this is even worse like it takes away his shield takes away his ability to block you know potential uh you know, potential ults and things like that this this is a really really bad times to be reinhardt and it sounds like jake you're mentioning arisa might be more viable than reinhardt in this case <laughs> i mean i think arisa is like interestingly really good against doomfist just in like the pure <laughs> one-on-one because of fortify you can't be yeah. knocked back so it's impossible for the punch to deal oh, extra damage that's to you. True. That's true. and you also can't be uppercut so like almost all of his cc just stops working um which is pretty significant right like it, it really changes how like um what is the logic of the ability uh, of the character? What is the logic? It's I think the idea is that she, she's like you know she Arisa is like the the OR fifteen right so you know Doomfist destroyed the weak OR 15s but she's the powerful OR 15 so she's like better equipped she's even specifically equipped to counter him <laughs> but that character is irrelevant and terrible so it's not like it's gonna matter. Arisa Torb might come back in some defense. I don't know. Well, look, it's almost like Arisa was built to counter Doomfist or something. Almost, almost in the lore. <laughs> but she came out first. But <laughs> it's like what? That's it doesn't weird. matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter. She came out first because who was going to pull people in the sanctum when people were trying to make that strategy? Right, right, right. It'll be interesting to see the effect on the game. I do. uh, The only thing that could get a little bit rough is if it does lead to the rise of that. You already had two really good dive characters and Tracer and Genji from DPS side things. Now, just like we're not all soldiers now. Now we have a fist involved also. And (laughs) uh, let me just note. Maybe it'll go down that way. I think people tend to make pretty sweeping judgments on how good a character is going to be or what it's going to be used in from the beginning. There's been many, many a case where a change comes out or something happens where people think that this is it. Everyone's going to play in this way, and that'll be that. And oftentimes, it doesn't go down that way. The best example I can give from recent memory is when Lucio got changed, a change that a lot of players really do like now. But in the very beginning, the pro community was doom and gloom, saying that everyone was going to be massively deathballing and not going away from death ball with Lucia, which didn't really pan out that way. Yeah. I mean, of course, everybody's going to make very quick judgments, but you know, first impressions are a big deal because first impressions are what everybody's going to do. <laughs> the instant she, you know, he actually does come out and people are going to try things immediately. Now, yeah. But the, you know, it's better than a good first impression. The person who figures out what actually works first. Well, so. of course, of course. I, I think one interesting thing is that compared to like something like the Lucio change, um, which is a little bit harder, I think, to interpret because it is an adjustment of an existing hero. So that sort of functions almost like you're removing one hero and adding another. Um, and, you know, it also came alongside other balance changes, notably to Winston, significant buffs to Winston that actually occurred for like three consecutive patches. So I would say the Lucio one, there was like, I guess like there's a lot of understandable reasons why people got it wrong or, or you know, and thought that it's just going to be going to bring in maybe a, a return, I guess, to the tankier meta. Um, but with Doomfist... I mean, the question is really, hes that's the only addition to the game, right? So the question is, how does the game change from its existing state, its current balance? Um, and in my mind, 
This character is insanely strong against characters like Ryan. Like anything slow that is going to allow you to set up for wall combos and is going to, you know, any character that wants to sort of sit together and create like a tight phalanx is going to be absolutely demolished by this character. It seems yep. he's what designed what he's designed to do. And then you say, okay, well, maybe it's not going to radically change the meta. So the question is, will it adapt the current existing comps? And then you look at characters like Genji, who absolutely loves characters that can deal unblockable damage. And Doomfist is the single best character at dealing unblockable damage in the game by far. Better than Winston. So to me, I see an incredible combo potential with Genji. So my question is, why would we change what we're already doing we're just going to do it better with the new character. Yeah, this is probably the first. Well, we, before we get into any more talk, let's talk, let's actually take a look at the abilities because some of the people that might be watching or listening don't know the abilities. So we should show them here. Let me find it. Um, okay, hold on, give me a second while I bring it up. Okay, here we go. Oh no, that's not right. There we go. All right. So Doomfist, this is the list of uh, abilities when you press F1, you know, when you're inside the game. So she has a hand cannon, and I think the best way to describe it is it, it's kind of similar to Divas, but it's, it's definitely less shots, right? But it has this kind of shotgun feel. I think officially it comes from her left fist. So each of her knuckles has a, a bullet that comes from it. And her, she actually has a clip, too. So it's not like Diva where she has infinite shots. She, she has four clips, and each of the knuckles are a clip. The interesting part is it's not auto, it's not like infinite shots, but at the same time, you don't have to reload. It, it like auto reloads a clip at a time. So it doesn't reclip, you know, reload the entire thing, the entire four clips. It retires, you know, just re re reloads one at a time. So, um, yeah, first off, what do you guys think about the cannon? Like, is it going to be super good with, I don't know, Discord or anything like that? Or what do you, th what do you guys think? It's free damage when he's up close. He's going to be initiating <laughs> yeah. with his abilities, but anytime his abilities are in cooldown, he has extra damage. And if you take a look at it, actually, it has a reasonable spread on it. It's not that big of a spread mm -hmm. if you're in it properly. And, I mean, it's good damage from what we can tell. Obviously, mm -hmm. it has to be playtested, but his primary fire seems perfectly fine, especially given the fact that he is going to be using the ability like every second, given how short the cooldowns are. Yeah, I mean, it's... Anything you don't have to reload is insane. Like, you think about something like D.Va. I mean, D.Va's gun is made a lot less useful by the fact that her mobility is, you know, virtually non-existent when she's firing, at least. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you compare that to a character like Doomfist, who, although he doesn't have infinite ammo in the way D.Va does, you're going to just, you're never going to want to shoot more than four shots, you know? And very rarely are you going to be waiting for that reload. You're going to be shooting four shots, combo, shoot two shots, combo, shoot two shots, combo, combo. You know, you're, you're always going to be using cooldowns. Because these are very, very quick cooldowns. They give you HP and they disorient the enemy. There's no reason that you're going to really like want a huge clip, but the fact that you don't have to reload is absolutely massive, especially considering that this gun is a little worse than Reaper shotguns in terms of damage, um, a little worse than Torb shotguns as well in terms of damage, but he has more range and better spread than any other shotgun in the game, um, unless you count like Roadhog right click, but you know, Roadhog sucks. Um, <laughs> feels bad, man. Uh, it, so, uh, I think it's. I think it's going to be. I think it has great synergy. Like, it's like a really cool thing to give the character because it's exactly what he wants. But the question is, is it a little too much what he wants? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's interesting because generally this character is a melee character. Yet they still added projectile, or at least some type of you know shotgun projectile to it. So uh, I wonder why they didn't just have like an extending arm or something that you can punch a little bit further and just really keep it all melee. The extendo arm is in Doomfist 2.0. Please look forward to it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, in, in, in general, uh, one thing we haven't really touched on here too, and is kid and everything else is mm-hmm. just his ultimate which should be interesting oh, we're gonna go through each thing first and then we're okay we're going through everything yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so let's we're talk about the s- seismic slam next which is the e and um you know a lot of seismic slam is and because jeff and his developers update even referenced this too is it's referred in a lot with combos with the uppercut but let's just talk about seismic slam by itself so seismic slam is um officially it, it stuns your character right in this kind of it, does it stun? Like, I'm a little uh, confused as to how it works. You know, he said that the alt stunned, and he yeah. also said that the E stunned. Both of those are just completely false. Don't, not true. Yeah, I don't know so if he I, has I'm played confu- the game I'm before. I'm actually a little confused. Neither of those is true. I tested him. I was like, well, this is just, you said the word stun. I mean, I, I thought that means something, but it's a, it's a deposition on um, at least the E. You can, like, affect their position, but it's more like the effect that, like, a graviton would have, where it just moves your character. It doesn't actually change anything. It's not nearly as disorienting as like a um, an Arisa pull or something. Okay, so let, let's just be clear about it. Whenever you slam the ground, and this is my, whenever I'm observing it, when I slam the ground, I end up like basically leaping forward, right? It Does it do any kind of pulling or anything like that? Or literally mm-hmm. all you do is, is just jump forward? It does seem to have a little bit of a... So imagine yeah. wherever you land, wherever it might, might be, the reticle I found to be like really buggy, like when the reticle would show up. You can use it on flat ground, but the reticle doesn't show up on flat ground. So the reticle is like really difficult to actually use to understand the ability, um, except if you're like really high up in the skybox and you want to know where you're going to land. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you can imagine right where you land, there's a cone laid out in front of you, almost like a Reinhardt Shatter, except... And it's much smaller than a Reinhardt Shatter, don't get me wrong, but, but that sort of shape. Um, and essentially anything in that cone that you hit with the ability as you land is going to be pulled towards you. So like the, the point of the cone. So it sort of lands right in front of you. So it's a great way to combat. You can, you could ease oh, someone and then you could set up an uppercut. Oh, you could also ease someone and then right click them into a wall. You could, um, ease someone and use shotguns cause that you bring them close. There's a lot of like combo oh, potential with it, okay. but it is, it is a pull. It's just, it's very quick and there's no stun. So you can't like lock someone down with this ability and you also can't cancel things like Winston jump or um, diva jetpack two things that can be canceled with, for example, the Arisa right click. Um, so it doesn't work like some of the other deep positions in the game, but on characters like supports, maybe they have low mobility or like a Lucio, you can sort of, you know, pull them back a little bit, make it a little bit easier to get mm-hmm. that extra damage in or set up. A the other thing I note about too, is that it's also a secondary way of getting close it- it has a downward tilt to it, but it does give you more forward movements coming up from a higher angle. So if you drop down, not only can you get close to people, but even if you miss, you're still really close to land an immediate right click on people. Like one, one thing about the, and we'll get to it when we uh, get to it a little bit more, but in terms of talking about the combo, you don't always need to do go for a long charge up. So as you're near the area, you can immediately just tap right click for a quick extra hit on and then combo with left click so on right. and so forth. It's so, so cool that we're talking about combos, you know, with these characters because in the past it was Genji, you know, right, with with maybe a three, four thing type you know, type of move combo. Roadhog at times, right, you could sneak in like the right click and then pull and then left click type of thing. But this is just outright crazy comboing, right? With well, I, I just want to note, like, thank God for Doomfist because his combos probably have more depth than Marvel vs. Capcom infinite comboing and that game's a fighting <laughs> game, but that's also because Capcom just totally messed up with that game. Calling it. Okay, uh, nice to get that Capcom jab. Right. <laughs> it's important Jeez. to get that in from time <laughs> to time. Goodness. Okay. Um, but yeah, DBZ so fighter or DB fighter Z for life. 
so the seismic slam was interesting because I, I was using it like I would uppercut and then try to seismic slam when I would come down. And it sounds like I should have been doing the opposite. <laughs> uh, the size, I mean, you can use it that way and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because the uppercut doesn't really give you lateral motion, which seismic slam really does give you lateral motion. It's more, it's like a leap forward plus the slam. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, you, it's like a massive gap closer to do uppercut on nothing. And then just seismic slam. You can, it's like long, about almost, I think it's longer than a Genji dash. I haven't exactly tested it, but it's, it feels extremely long and you can go over obstacles with it. So it's probably the best gap closer in the game, although it costs you two abilities. So, you know, depends how you think about it. Um, but when you land and get shields, if you if you actually successfully hit your seismic slam to get shields, uh, and then you can combo with the right click, get more shields, it's pretty dangerous, you know. And if you if you can imagine having stuff like a Genji, a Winston, and a Tracer in with you, that's going to get extremely dangerous. Well, uh, well, the other thing out there is that yeah, it costs two abilities, but the abilities have some of the very shortest in the game. His like four it, five. Yeah. His charge forward is a four second cooldown, so that's why I like just talking about before, like just small taps on it or you're probably gonna see quite a bit up close where it's just like oh we're going on doomfist nope mini stun plus left click because here's the thing is that if you look at how the right click works is that you can immediately just mix in about two left clicks right away without the person being able to deal with it so there's a lot in his kit even without setup that is seemingly surprisingly deadly yeah yeah and so what's interesting too about the uppercut and works we're kind of i guess transitioning over to the uppercut which is the shift is can you can actually move levels right with the uppercut you can actually jump to a second floor by using the uppercut because originally i was yeah. like oh, okay this guy's like basically limited to the floor because whenever you right click with your rocket punch you can't change levels but then i was like oh no you uppercut and then you change levels so you can still flank with this guy like really really well Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> the the E also gives you a slightly additional height boost. Like it's a very small one, but it can you can even make it to higher ground that way. Like some things you can't make with just uppercut. You need also seismic slam, but it's not like the cooldown's long. It's not like you're super scared after you do that. Yeah. My favorite thing is gonna be when you start seeing Ferris getting punched out of the air. Where it's just why? Why is this happening? <laughs> is that kidding? enough to get Ferris you? Actually, insane. Like it's almost impossible to hit her. At least I don't know. I was playing and the PTR was lagging on like 300 pings. So maybe that was a problem, but. Farah is extremely good against Doomfist, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a case where I'd assume Farah would have a better matchup there, but that it, technically she's supposed to have a better matchup against Genji, and that doesn't stop people from going for anti-air Dragon Blade. So I'm very much looking forward to the first time in a tournament where you see a Farah up there just getting punched directly out of the sky and chat blows up with one punch, etc. Like that, that's the other thing too is that we're talking about skins awesome. here. You, you need two, you need two skins for this guy at least. One is you need a skin that makes him look like Ken from Street Fighter, and two, you need a skin that well he's already bald, so he's one, got yeah, that One Punch Man. Yeah, yeah, he's making one punch man. man for One Punch Man. Like, really he, he's already lacking the hair, so he's I like halfway a huge there. Huge red rubber glove, like a massive <laughs> yeah. red rubber glove. That's all I'm looking for in a legendary. Awesome. Yes, man, that would be so good for a skin. Um, also, ripped Doomfist's hair. Oh, sorry, ripped my hair. <laughs> rip your hair well there better be achievement where you kill a fair <laughs> the sky with the with the rock um the yeah, upper i wonder what the achievements it's, are it's gonna be good it has to be kill 10 guys or kill five guys with uh with the uppercut from the air uh, but <laughs> let's talk about rocket punch this one was pretty this one's pretty interesting because um it, you know it kind of duels as mobility as well as offense right and, and damage and one the first thing i noticed is that you know the the refresh on it's very very quick so i immediately started comparing it to just like a diva boot you know thrust and it's pretty similar to it when it you know feels like a faster reinhardt charge 
So that felt just really good mechanically and just you know from the standpoint of of UI and feel. But um, but in terms of the power, uh, yeah. What what do you guys think? Like, how do you compare the power of the Doomfist compared uh, or the Rocket Punch compared to other characters like Charge and, and things like that? It one shots you. It, Is it one it, shot you? Okay. Yeah. If you hit a, well, it does. It does one hundred a full charge right click does one hundred fifty on strike and then a hundred extra wall damage. So it one shots oh, wow. may and by the way, when you get hit by it, you are stunned. So like you can't be popping a wraith or an ice block before you hit the wall. It's not possible. You're you're stunned in the animation of it. It also is a stun in the sense that it cancels all oh channeled abilities. God. Um, if you wow. it, with with no charge, like if a roadhog pops his ult and he's still in the like the setup stage. Uh, so he can't push you away, or if you're behind him, you can just cancel it with like a just tap right click goodbye. Um, here's here's the big crazy. thing for me in look in valuing this ability is that <clears throat> realistically speaking, is that the gut instinct for a lot of people when they first start playing Doomfist is going to be to play dive, 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 get in people's faces, uh, reckless abandon. I think the stage two of what people are going to do with Doomfist at points just to vary things up and be less predictable is that you're going to want to check your corners. Like you're going to go mm-hmm. in yeah. on engagement. And there's going to be a Doomfist hiding behind the corner, fully charged up, ready to go in on the first person he sees. And that's actually going to be pretty effective because there's you'll be able to set up cases where you'll be able to knock people into the wall immediately for a quick kill or just displace them to such a degree that they're not going to be able to recover. Like, it, let's bring up Reinhardt here for an example. Yeah. Reinhardt's leading the Vanguard going forward, and there's just a Doomfist hiding in the corner that punches Reinhardt in the back can immediately fall up with an uppercut, and also the Reinhardt is now displaced from his team. Kind of a bad place to be, and that's just like one of many ways you can probably ambush <laughs> this dude. So. Exactly. Yeah, Reinhardt this hero has yeah, a tremendous flanking potential. The D position yeah. is better than the hook because it doesn't stun you. I mean, it does stun you sort of to use it, but you can use it much like the hook, and you can also walk slowly while charging it. So you can like jump off high ground and charge it up and then just slap them away to your team, hit them with an uppercut for the CC, and then if they try and escape, you have a... Um, Seismic Slam. You can also ult in. You can ult out. This character has, I think, is the the definitely on par with Genji Tracer for highest skill ceiling in the game. That's it's great that they added a, a character with high skill ceiling though. So you know, definitely kudos to them for that. And, and just the power level, I think, is is really really good because Doomfist coming out very very weak would have been super disappointing. So I'm glad they did that. Uh, one thing that you just alluded to too with the rocket punches. If you hold down the rocket punch too, guys, um, it, it charges up too. There's a, there's a level of charge to it. You can do a quick little hit, how, which doesn't do the, you know nearly as much damage. And obviously, if you charge it up, you can you can travel a long ways with it. It, it, it goes flying across the screen, and when you nail somebody, it definitely feels like a Reinhardt, um, you know, charge and kill. Uh, we know one thing that about this character too, and and is that it has a passive, and given that he's the type of character that's going to dive into just the like a giant mix of characters and you know instead of him having him die super fast um they did add the ability for him to have some resilience in terms of you know shielding and things like that so the way it works and you guys i mean again like i'm not 100 percent clear but whenever he lands a punch uh whether it's rocket punch uppercut i guess even slam or does it count for slam too yeah yeah, yeah. all three cooldowns okay, i don't yeah. know if the old does it i forgot to check but it shouldn't matter anyway but so if he lands sure any kind of does. damage it, it probably does yeah. like why would if he lands on any, if he lands any of those things on any of the character or any of your enemies, you get a a chart like a shield charge, and there's actually four charges. Um, I don't know how that works. Like if you have four, I mean, is it one of those things? You get, where you, yeah, you get seventy. I think it's seventy five for a while. I can't remember because I was testing it on like a thousand HP, so I could not die. 
is it but, each, um, is it each click like a, a number of hit points that you absorb or is yeah it, no is it you get like, like yeah you, you get hit points i think it's like a, a static percentage of your hp um okay. every time i want to say it was 75 i can't remember 100 so but um so just to clarify just try it in training mode if you land on top of two bots in the inner circle you immediately go up to 400 shields off the ultimate so not only does it give you shields it gives you a rather oh substantial God. amount and one thing shields? i'm gonna note here though and oh, ultimate also one shot 200 That's... hps right 300 so, hp I, I will note one thing that could be an achilles heel here the doom fist as good as he looks to be on the dive stuff that just kind of occurs to me is that from the looks of it he's kind of a bigger dude hitbox wise i he's gonna be much easier to hit i think than some of your other heroes like genji or tracer and two things one is that in theory this makes mccree if mccree doesn't get immediately blown up by his dive better again like a mccree that is just able to be away from the doomfist probably going to deal really good damage him or the second option is i'm not quite sure what his head hitbox size is yet but you do wonder how widow's going to deal with him also Oh god, you do not want to play Widow against this character. You were about to get yeah. jumped in the worst way. Well, it's like you can get jumped, but if his head hitbox is big enough, he's also he's gonna be upper one, he's upper in one shot range. He can he can like like there's very few maps with sight lines longer than the uppercut slam combo. You can also just like like the ultimate is insane in terms of it's not like good because it's so easy to dodge if you're like a, a strong player. It's like you don't you can play Roadhog and dodge it. It's not hard. So without CC, it's really hard to land ultimates. But you just ult into the back line, I think, so you have all your cooldowns on. And then it's just a bad day for, like, yeah, this character, concerned of, like, if you think, like, Genji is good against Widow, this character is way better than Genji against Widow in terms of just, like, killing her fearlessly. I mean, it's like, you know, you can hit this headshot on Genji, but it's going to be vastly harder to, like, hit the headshot on an initiating Doomfist because both of his abilities are non-linear. Um, like, both of his gap closers are non-linear. The only gap closer that is linear is the, the right click. Um, but... You're probably not going to be using that to initiate on like a widow on high ground, but the uppercut slam is like the first one is like sort of a, a slope up, and then the slam is like a you know a dash forward, but you arc downwards. So compared to like headshotting a dashing Genji, it's actually going to be I think a lot harder, even if the hitbox is bigger. It's going to be the, the unpredictable motion is going to be like really difficult to deal with. That's the thing where I think that is actually the to be determined part. Where like we can make our initial impressions on it, but yeah. it, if the hitbox is on the bigger side, like he. It's very easy for this to shift the other way if people go, wait, I just have to key on this and kill him. I'm not saying he'll go out that way. I mean, it very well could be the type part where he's just unstoppable dive, but he also could be a big beefy target. Well, so well, I, I mean, I'm willing to reserve judgment on that. From the standpoint of him being a beefy target, I mean, you can't just discord him, and, and he's definitely easier to take care of if he's discorded than, say, a Genji or a Tracer or anything like that. So um, it, there is some point to that. Um, but let's I, talk about the... Oh, you want to make a point there? Or? Yeah, I was just going to say is that it. I think for Doomfist... It, my gut impression is that's actually going to be pretty bad for him if he spotted out before he dives in. Like, I don't think you have the ability to, and we'll see, but I don't think you necessarily want to like charge in the way you would like a Tracer or Genji. I think he will have to use some of his tools to be more flanking deceptive on the move in. Yeah, like, which I, is I, good. <laughs> that would yeah, suck like, if he would just easy, easily just jump into a, a you know six six man ball or a five man ball and just um, be able to get out of that easily and kill everybody. That'd be ridiculous. I mean, crazy, crazy bad. Um, let's talk about the ultimate though, the meteor strike. So this is the, the big, obviously the big power, the big ability for him. And, um, you know, in terms of the UI for it, it's really, really interesting. So the first thing is, is like, it's called the, uh, meteor strike. And the first thing he jumps into the air. Okay. So he's on, he's, 
invulnerable. Yeah, he's un- yeah. invulnerable, baby. He's one of the few. Is there any other character that's invulnerable? There's some invulnerable, but like it's like May Ice Block and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, true, They're true. not a Ray Ray Wraith farm, but like they're not nearly. This is like the no best ultimate in the game. I don't think because no you're also ultimate. not only are you you are actually invisible and involved right uh, until you choose to finish the ultimate or the time it runs out and it makes you come down. Right, right. So you jump in it's the pretty air. Pretty good escape. And then all of a sudden there's a circle that appears on the ground that you can control with your you know your movement keys. And so like you're just basically tracking to, to see where exactly you want to land and then when you land there'll be a you know a perimeter of like um you know like earth shattering type of feel to it. And okay so anyway it lasts about 3 seconds I would say something like that. I think it's like 4 or 5 like four or five. it's I mean, kind of long. Can run like, away. You can like hop this and like yeah. people are just I mean there you could like there's very few places where people could actually like prevent you from escaping. There's going to be some like cool meta game of like the Doomfist tries to escape and you just like like a really smart player knows exactly where he's going to go and just is like following him because he's not that fast, right? So like yeah. if you make the correct guess, it's very hard for the Doomfist to like change his mind and go somewhere else. Um, so there's going to be like some, some cool counterplays to it. The other and it's very easy to dodge. It's like if he casts it right on top of you, it's like really easy yeah. to step off of it. But the other thing is it lets him get all of his cooldowns back. So when he lands, he's about to go flying oh, once again. Like true. the character's going to be. It's like the, the old is kind He's of more hilarious. Like, I, it's gonna be, it's gonna be the old is like the coolest part of the character because I think it's the most unique ability in Overwatch right now. The one thing about the ultimate too, though, is that like a lot of people think, okay, use the ult immediately, try and go down on it. Is that you can actually be in the air for a substantial period of time. So there's something to be said for mind games there in terms of setup and otherwise. Like, do you want to sit there and stand and fight in a situation where the ultimate could be immediately dropping down on you? And also like. Even though characters can get out of it, if you're dealing with other things at the same time, it's yeah. going to be difficult. Like I, I think there is something to be said for the terror factor when that ultimate is in play. The other thing too is I'm just looking forward to seeing combinations with it, right? Where uh, obviously like Zarya, Zarya hasn't been Zarya as is the favorite at the six K meteor yeah. punch. <laughs> That would be amazing. Well, I'm sure it'll happen. I'm sure it'll happen. Find out at some point. It is a legit yes. combo. It's just not we, as good as like Pulse Bomb or something. That's not yeah. as fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we have Big Bang, but I'm not sure what you have to call this. We'll probably just call this like one punch yeah. because of, the one if you're punch. in the center of it, you get pretty gibbs. So. Yeah, it kills. <laughs> it's also a one shot on the Torb turret, so Torb mains beware. Oh, Scarge is really good against Torbjorn. Like, so, it, it has really good against. It has a lot of a self destruct feel to it, right? Then, <laughs> well, th- um, thank God he's checking Torbjorn. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, God you know, really locks down the meta. <laughs> he, he is doing far too much right now. The scary thing, though, is what I think about this character is that all of these characters that were already like on, you might say, the fringes of the meta, like things like McCree and Widow, where there was like, you could you could slip this in sometimes, you know. Like I know this dive's really aggressive, but we can, you know, they're not like they're not like that aggressive, right? Like they're not going totally crazy. Like, I honestly predict people are going to stop running a second support um, to run Sombra just so they can, like, not have a backline. Like, currently the dive, you still have, like, a Zen Lucio standing next to each other to, like, output damage because Zen Discord is such a valuable ability. And I still think Discord's good, but I think now you you just don't need it. Before, you were using Discords that you could guarantee dash resets even if a Diva Matrix was on them the whole time. You know, the Winston combo does 80 plus all the Taze you can do. Genji combo does 80 you know, assuming quick melee, mm, um, plus plus you know any anything else you can get in, and that's already 160. So you were getting very very close to just burning a, a, a 200 HP character through a perfect matrix play, which is pretty rare anyway. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, screw Discord. I, I don't need the Discord to get over 200. I, I just combo you with Doomfist, and now I have a Sombra hacking packs. Doomfist also has insane synergy with Sombra because the shields enable you to like 
fight packs probably more greedily than any other character. Like maybe Diva was about as good at just standing on packs fe- like fearlessly with the on a somber mega and just like farming. But Doomfist is going to be a very scary character to fight on the somber mega with how much burst potential he has and like how much self save potential he has for hitting a big combo, getting a huge amount of shields and buying himself, you know, yeah. three extra seconds that you just did not expect. Like hmm. this, I think this character is going to like, people think dive is aggressive right now. I mean, my prediction is that this is going to go like to the next degree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is really interesting. Cause we, we do have a topic of the, or we actually have a couple topics of the week and I guess we might as well bring one up right now, given that this leads into it pretty well. Uh, you know, one of the topics has been just, people starting to, I guess, grow tiresome of the, the dive comp, you know, just the dive meta right now. And, you know, we've seen the dive meta go from, this is fresh, this is awesome, to, okay, you know, this is starting to just, just settle down, this is starting to solidify, and we know it's going to be around for a while. And now it's to the point where people are, are wanting a change, I guess you could say. And even though there's still little tweaks here and there, you know, we've seen Sabra obviously pop up a little bit more recently. For the most part, dive is, is still the you know just the the fundamentals of everything that's being done right now. So with Doomfist coming out and at least your initial review of it, Jake and and dive being you know even more powerful, even more powerful with a character like Doomfist. Um, what do you guys think about just the overall state of the meta right now? And do you feel like what some of this commentary is right? You know, some vocal commentary is right now, which is you guys are getting tired of this dive meta? Well, I would say in general, human beings overall will get tired of seeing the same thing or experiencing the same thing over and over again, regardless of what it is, what the context is. Like, that's not even an Overwatch-specific thing. It's just, for example, if you watch EU competition right now and most of the teams are basically rogue, but running it, their composition at a weaker level a lot of the time it's it, you're you're seeing a lot of the same thing so obviously people will want variety even if they initially like something so that's one thing to begin with there mm-hmm. however one thing i'll say there is that even if the comp stays on die for a while it would probably be healthy if doomfist was represented there because even though it's still a similar strategy that would be being used in terms of blowing stuff up you're at least getting a different look on it if mm-hmm. doomfist is in fact viable and being used in those situations now, in, in terms of the long run, I mean, I, obviously, I think the design goal for Overwatch is to hit a point where you have multiple styles active at the same time. They're not there yet, but we have had points in the meta where we have been there. So, I mean... Before they nerfed Hog? Thoughts? Before what? Uh, before what? Before shying away from Hog, even... Oh, Hog. Yeah, true, true. People yeah, already yeah, weren't yeah. playing Hog, so that, yeah, was a, yeah. that was a really strong time to nerf him, I think. Really uh, shook the game up. <laughs> Uh, just yeah, had to bury sure, the pig, man. Sure. Just, I mean, I if you're looking so for sympathy for, for me, though, on Roadhog, like that, uh, you hate with Roadhog. Hook, you, yes, you I hate, hate Roadhog. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't really have a lot of sympathy. Like, yes, bury him. <laughs> well, well I, I guess with that, him, you bury the German and the Russian. Yeah, and that's the problem. And so I think that the ideal situation for Overwatch, you know, long term, and if it was in a state, would be uh, would be a, a case where some maps require a certain meta and some maps require a different type of or composition meta, right? And that's what I'm talking about. And so that way we would just, I think, naturally see some some uh, diversity in, in like a match, you know, like, like uh, just a normal event match. But right now, it seems like, you know, the same meta works across all the maps. So I wish they would change, you know, just map architecture and things like that a lot more so that that would, that would be the case. I don't know exactly what it would be, but 
there's got to be some maps that would limit dive. You know, just like creating a very, I don't know, just horizon space well, it's pretty anti-dive yeah, but horizon, you know it's, horizons are good example. instead you play torba recess i don't really know if that's people we're looking for but, uh, <laughs> yeah, the problem is too. to some extent for the dive characters that the dive character in theory you would think that like dive would be good at picking people off around the edges like really good on skirmishing and you'd think a natural counter there which i mean lg evil tried running this quite a bit for a time is taking control of shorter spaces, right? Like running beefier characters, trying to space mm -hmm. control in a yep. small area. Yep. One of the problems there, though, is that the flanking characters in the game are also really good at clearing out tight areas between Pulse Bomb, Dragon Blade, just the general way just, that Genji dash. dashes work over. Yeah, get Winston, the way Winston Cleave and Genji Dash are really yeah. the biggest problems with trying to run tanks and right. dive because those things don't care what you're doing. And if you want to sit in a little ball, they are happy to farm ultimates off of you. <laughs> so, like, here's the thing you could do with Genji in theory, and some players have, like, already thrown this out in various com conversations, that you could actually buff Genji shurikens while nerfing his dash damage. And what that would do is that, A, that would arguably add more skill to the character because now you have to get more of your damage from something that's less guaranteed, right? Like, it's not particularly hard to hit the dash. But the other thing that would do as well is that that would actually nerf Genji pretty heavily in AOE situations where right now, the, how does Genji break into a room and just murder everyone when that situation occurs is that he dashes in, some guy was low, they die, now he can dash through everyone else another time and he's done 100 damage to everyone in the room and God forbid a guy died on the second dash because guess what, here comes a third dash for extra damage. So once you get the second dash, 99% of fights are over. Yeah. yeah so. There is something to be said where Tracer and Genji are really good at dealing with situations that arguably should be more their weaker point, which is when the team is sort of grouped up because they just have such effective ways of clearing out grouped up areas. And, you know, for Genji, that's even before you consider like Blade cleaning through, which, I mean, it's probably fine. It's just the dash itself is a little bit much. And so I think going back to the question about maps is that maps do have areas where you could be more tightly clustered and, take advantage of that to make a team perhaps feel punished running multiple dive, but because the dive heroes are so good at clearing up tiny rooms, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think unless you want to make a map that's just like linear, like, like I mean, like a hallway, like people are, you know, like the comps that for, like you need a map that actually forces you to trade spam to really make Reinhardt good in, in the current mm -hmm. state of the meta. And like, and I mean forces, like you need a map with like without flanks. And that's just like, it's not going to be fun. Like, but I mean, you're actually, you're not going to just go tanks. You're going to go like Bastion Junkrat if you make a map that's actually <laughs> good enough to like, and to like totally and make it like, so you like, you really can't run dive because it's like, you know, like you think King's Row is jokey. I'm talking like the hallways in King's Row, but that's the whole map. Like it, it would be a really unfun map design, I think, just because of how like mind numbing it would be. But I think that, I think it's not really a problem with map design, right? Like, you know, some of these characters have been in the game since launch. You know, it, it's, it's really just a question of, can you, you know, like, can you actually work in, you know, a Ryan and a Zarya into your composition? Like, like, are they good enough characters to play? Like, you know, oh, like we've already okay. seen maps like King's Row where they've been, they were dominant on King's Row even while, like, you know, even I saw Rogue running Ryan occasionally on King's Row, even back when Rogue was originally innovating the triple DPS, they didn't believe on it, believe in it on King's Row. Like, you know, these maps already exist that make dive very difficult to execute. But right now people pretty much say, we don't care how good your map is. These characters are so unbelievably bad we won't run them no matter what you give us like doesn't oh, i don't really? care i'm gonna note though it's less of a part of ryan being bad per se right now and also the part where so if you rewind time a little bit 
Ryan was basically seen as so good for quite a while that you couldn't run a Winston because Winston had key flaws. Then Winston gets buffed rather heavily on multiple points. Four or five times and, in a row. Yeah, and then suddenly <laughs> just like, why would I run Reinhardt when Winston is so good? So I, I do think that there is something to be said for part of the issue here being not so much that Ryan is terrible, but Winston is way too good. Like, I, I would say there's a few ways you can go at Winston. I'd say the number one part is that it's fine for him to control space the way he does, but his DPS component is actually just really ridiculous right now. Like when you cleave a team, you're doing massive amounts of damage, more so than the AOE healing can deal with nowadays. You hit the leap in part, the fact that does he does damage, moves in, it's really strong. I, I think for Winston, I would not hit his survivability buffs that he got, but I would make Winston less of a, oh, I'm next to you, you're dead. And Like you, you can nerf it in multiple ways, right? You can get rid of leap damage to some extent you can yeah, reduce yeah. the range on his cleave you, you can do a lot to make it so that winston is not just lol i'm in your face this is happening now like you, you need i mean the problem with this is like you know you can already bionate heal amp is like tripling the winston's dps in terms of like you're, you're like not only counterplaying it you're like rapidly healing through it things like heal station heal station is like slightly less than winston's dps like just a, a basic ability you just deny you can basically just man up on a winston at, if you have like 100 hp you could take a man fight um, as a soldier just by yourself so to me it's not even the cleave damage so much as the fact that if you're not running a comp with like zen and diva tracer soldier like you know like a ton of damage that dive represents then you just can't kill him like you can survive the cleave for a while but it doesn't matter how long you can survive the cleave if you can't kill winston like he just will get to you eventually like you'll run out of abilities you'll run out of cooldowns and guess what he's just pressing his left click we actually had a scrim <laughs> against canada last night with team usa on Horizon Lunar Colonics is one of the maps that we're going to play um, in the group stages. And we, we pushed the first really fast because they were sitting in a corner on like Torbarisa. And Fact was cleaving them on Winston. And we were pushing last. And, you know, it, it was like a, one of those crazy caps where we had, we capped first, in, I think like 45 seconds or something. And f we pushed last. And Fact had a primal up. And we like, we didn't have pulse bombs. Like neither team had a pulse bomb. And Fact had a primal, which is just like, I think part of it is like, it makes <laughs> yeah. running, it, I mean, like Winston isn't, as insane versus other dive competitions, he's quite good. But compared to when you, when you want to sit in the ball on tanks and Winston's cleaving five people, he's going to have a primal every fight. And when your Roadhog does 25 damage, that's a pretty big problem. Yeah, in general, I think that really one of the more effective ways of counting dive, because you, you've had more dive heroes, right? So I think even if Winston got nerfed, you would have different dive compositions like Arise, but perhaps not the one we're accustomed to now. As much as I hate to say it, when people are just like, wow, Ryan is being run every game. You might want to return to that just by nerfing Winston. I mean, obviously the ideal would be to have it where you can run both equally, but Winston in general is very obviously too good right now. And it it's just a case where he probably got too many buffs in a row and also teams learned to play around him where maybe you could nerf him back and make other play styles a little bit more viable while still keeping that as a viable thing because it is really strong right now. You just can't buff a hero that many times in a row when he's already good. Like, yeah. it seems like some of the changes is, like, I, I honestly was kind of disappointed in the Overwatch team, to be honest, because I saw, like, the changes, like, when they changed the way Bionade interacts with Primal Rage. I mean, if you're running tanks, you're running Ana, period. Like, just just period. Like, you have to run that character. It's it's almost impossible. I mean, there was Zen comps, but that's only when there was, like, a really strict ride meta because of how well um, Ana just, you know, like, you need if you're running against Dive, you need an Ana to sustain tanks. There's just no other way to do it. Um you know, with the current heroes available. So you're running Ana 
And of course, then let's assume the enemy team is running dives. Now we're evaluating like how well the tanks deal with dive. Before, you could at least nade the Winston and focus him. Because then if he pops Primal, he had 500 HP, which is very, you can deal with that. You know, you can just burn and probably, he has to run away. Like basically, if he, if he pops Bionic with Primal, he's just running with it, which is great for you, right? That's an ultimate just, just for an escape. You're like, yeah, I'll take that. No problem. But now yeah, but- you just Primal, he bounties, you're like, yeah, great, great nade, bro. I'm just going to pop Primal and have a thousand. And yeah, but the, the, you just you can't get through that. You just actually can't get through that HP in, in with with tanks. There's, there's, there's no way. They're made. Okay, so sometimes things are changed for balance, but sometimes things are also changed because they should feel a certain way. The entire idea of primal rage is that you get your health back. Period. It, it's not an idea where it's just like it wasn't even really considered to be a healing ability. It, it, it's sort of it, yes, it heals you, but the mindset of it is. You pop rage, you get a second wind. Bionade sort of stopping that was somewhat of an unintended functionality. Where yes, even though it might have had balance that existed it, in the game since Ana came out, by the way, and they caught it now. I mean, as everyone that I knew was like, just assumed that this is how the mechanic was supposed to work because it has it was never not like this. It was it was like this until like for what like six months, seven months. It's quite sure. a long time to not notice a bug if you're the Overwatch team. And it's sure, also like it's if you're going to make that change, that's fine. Like it's understandable. But you need to give something back. Like you need to make Winston pay for that kind of change or give on to something because that matchup is a crucial matchup, right? Because if you're going to choose Zen, you're playing Dive. And if you're going to choose Ana, you just can't deal with Winston. So the enemy team's running Winston. They're like, well, we got to run Zen. Well, yeah, I mean, we I, can't run Ryan. Let's run Dive. And now everyone's playing Dive, right? Like, the, the, most gotta, primal, like, the most I'll say about Primal, the most I'll say about Primal Rage, I actually don't think the full heal. For, well, there's two things, right? Is that in terms of how alt design generally works, is that. <clears throat> and you can track this all the way back to like alt refunds, all the rest is that generally speaking, alts are preferred to feel powerful is something you can sort of glean from the design. And it feels bad when you use your alt that's supposed to heal you. And then just nothing happens. Even yeah, if that's like a thing there. Well, great ultimate, right? or earth shatter. Just <laughs> uh, I mean, Stay on top of the payload. Oh my Genji, you press space I mean, bar. That's time. different. That's based, on skill. Yeah, that's based on skill. You know, uh, that's based on you know. That's a little. Different. Anyways, a little different. Co- it's a little different. To complete my point is, I think with Primal Rage, I would say there's probably just more of a bounce issue there, which is not. It's not that the Winston gets full HP. That's necessarily the worst part there. The part is that Primal Rage lasts for a really long time, and that was probably fine before people were getting better use at Winston when he was in Primal Rage, but. Now you sort of have an ability here where he feels unkillable for a long time, can really delay for a long period of time, and now people have actually gotten really good at doing yeah, damage but- in it. Where, like, back in the day when people prop Primal Rage, they weren't great at finishing kills with it. They'd sort of knock people around. But we've now hit an era where Winstons are very good at finishing their kills. So yeah. I, there might be something to be said for Primal Rage to just knock some seconds off of its duration so it doesn't feel like yeah, I think that would be a good nerf. forever when it's used. But Absolutely. For, but I think for, he needs a lot more than that. Yeah, but, but for sure he needs a, a couple things, I think, dialed back. And it's a nice but, slap in the face with the old nerf. Uh, it's one of those things, well, too, where they're just doing a little bit forcefully, too, and... I don't know how the cycle of these changes work. I mean, they've they've always been really, really quick, right, on the dev team. But it could be one of those things where you know they they got one in and they already had one planned already. You know, for like a, a change that was coming up, like in 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 a, a a normal release, normal update, and they might have hot fixed one like kind of early, just just because of just some reactionary type of thing, and it's kind of led to this. But you know, there was a while where Winston was never played, right? They wanted Winston to be played, so they made all these kind of changes. Same with D.Va, right? It's the same thing. So it, it it's just that type of reaction again here. And and like ZP was saying, 
people have gotten super good at these characters too. And it's hard for them to measure it sometimes, right? Like a, a lot of, a lot of the times they use analytics as a way to, to try to balance things. And you know, you can't really do that. And you know, like data doesn't really reveal itself until you have enough data. And that could take a month sometimes, you know, before you actually really, really know across the board what, what a character looks like. So well, I think that might be affecting things too. To sort of give some context into how important Winston is right now as far as competitive teams go, though, is that yeah. there's been more than one competitive team that basically decided to fold and pack it up because they weren't able to find a good enough Winston player in this meta. And, I mean, there's definitely been cases in other metas where people have said that for every other role, but it's been particularly glaring in this meta where if you don't have a good Winston, you basically do not get to play the game. Like yeah. It's very difficult to find a team that does well right now without good Winston. And even then there's teams that were doing well on all cylinders that whether it be on the Winston player, just how they're playing with it, where if you don't play well with it, you end up losing the game and point to like renegades versus FN or GFE there where renegades clearly was not playing the dive part of it with their tanks as well as other teams. And it turned out to be just a critical weakness and compared to the NA contenders teams that did have very good tank players that were able to apply better pressure. So, all right. Well, I, I think the last bit of this, we spent a lot of time on this, but maybe just one question, I guess one question for, for both of y'all. Is this hurting Overwatch? You want to take it, ZP? Okay. So, asking if a meta being the same time for a while is hurting Overwatch, I mean, maybe. It, it's clearly a point where you have people complaining right now. And I think in general that if you were in a perfect design world, you would want to have many viable aspects. So, I mean, if the goal is to have multiple viable aspects that are entertaining to watch and yeah, being stuck on one meta for a while is somewhat troublesome in the, has it done any like serious damage? Probably not. I mean, it's a case where metas will shift. If it, the meta stays on dive for another three months, then I think we have a really serious problem. But in terms of how long a meta has stayed around, you know, we're at a point here where we've seen multiple iterations where for a while it's triple tank, now it's dive. Presumably it's going to swap back to something else at some point. Maybe not right now with Doomfist, but I, I don't know. I, I think these things go in cycles. Okay. It would be nice if you had right. multiple viable parts. I actually think that the healthiest point in the meta for Overwatch historically has been sort of the changing of the guard. Because when dive was first coming out, you still had a lot of people running more 2 2 right. and some teams running three tanks. And you did have a time where you had a really rich variety. So Perhaps there's something to the idea of like more frequent balance ch changes to keep the player base off guard. So players themselves are still debating between what's the best. And you don't have a team like Rogue saying a blueprint for multiple months straight. Yeah. Jake? Yeah. I mean, my view is just Blizzard is way too timid. And if you're going to be that timid, you better be like really, really smart and like make absolutely the perfect decisions if you're going to take this long to do them. And when they took like, I, I can't remember how long it was between the patch prior to the M McCree Reaper Roadhog patch, but like that, I mean, I, I, I don't even know what they're thinking with that patch. Like, I mean, I guess you can play like Reaper a little bit now. Like McCree still kind of sucks because you can't deal with Winston on his head. Can't deal with the Diva on him. Can't yeah, deal with those, Genji on those him. Those changes were more incremental, right? Than they were. But what I mean is that those changes were already, yeah, that's what I mean. They're, they're incremental changes. They're timid changes. And they made, I mean, with Roadhog, it was like, Roadhog was the, the the last stand for slow, tanky compositions. The last stand for Reinhardt, fundamentally, because those characters have insane synergy, right? Like Reinhardt, Zarya, Roadhog, you know, 
your Reinhardt protects your Zarya Roadhog from spam, which are the two most dangerous things for those characters. Or, or spam, rather, the most dangerous thing for, for both those characters. And then Roadhog actually gives teeth to your Reinhardt. He's not just like a block. You actually right. can like get teeth. something yeah. done with that. Yeah. yeah, and then you can bring people in for the hammer. Uh, you know, you can deposition the enemy Rhine for a shatter. You can deposition any character, like even a Winston for a shatter. Um, you can combo with so many, there's just so many, com- so much combo potential between those three characters. And but what people don't understand is like as annoying as Roadhog was or whatever. I don't know. People thought he was annoying. I think people are just don't understand yes. the game well. Um, people. Also me. I also thought Roadhog was annoying. I mean, I, this, I, I honestly think that here. most of people's complaints about Roadhog are, are because they don't like, because it doesn't feel like there's counterplay. Because when you get hooked, you have to watch the animation and die to the Roadhog. <laughs> and that's like a really upsetting feeling. Yeah, and I understand definitely. that's like not good or that, 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 that like doesn't feel good. But I also think that it's just like um, a pretty radical mistake to assume that that makes a character like OP. Like I honestly think if Roadhog's hook just like deleted you when you got hit by it, which obviously would be like OP. But I think it would like somehow feel less frustrating. I mean, that's pretty a bad example. But my point is, I guess, that you can't just nerf a hero that feels quote unquote frustrating without doing stuff like you just did to the meta, making dive like an unstoppable, like uncounterable uh, meta. You know, even in past metas where people were running tanks, you could even in like the really the depths of the triple tank meta, you know, as, as soon as quad tank was over, Rogue was already running dive, right? They were just fearless. They were like, no, 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 we can make this work. We're good at the game. And they did make it work. It was undeniable. Who knows? Maybe it was just I the strongest back then and no one had realized it yet. So just to be clear, my main complaint with Roadhog historically, and this comes from the part where like I you know, I've had to play with real life friends and multiple accounts. So I've seen like multiple stages of play and all the rest. I will tell you when playing in like a diamond level game, that back in the day, the main thing that would kill me more than anything else is that I could deal with every skill-based character that's more on a gradient curve. The character that killed me more often than it otherwise would in those games by like just an insane margin. And sure, some of it's not giving as much respect as you probably should, but it was Roadhog. So I, that said, I think for me, the way we've changed Roadhog is that I would have tried to up the skill required for certain things of hooks. Like the, the hook widely was known as having a hitbox the size of a barn. Like it, the yes. hook was easier to hit than it probably it's designed for been. the lowest common denominator player. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, I think what I would have liked for Roadhog is if he was a terror at lower skill levels, which it seems like was a bigger reason for the change, is that I do wonder what would have happened if you just reduced the hitbox size of the hook and basically changed some of his mechanics to be still the same high end if you were able to perform at that level. But you changed it in such a way that it was harder to do to where if you weren't really good at Roadhog, you'd be missing far more hooks and therefore people would be experiencing getting one shot less at those lower sure, levels. Sure. And ho- hopefully there'd be harmony in the universe. So that's the only thing I'd say about Roadhog there is that I do think Roadhog needed the change and he needed to get nerfed, but I would have nerfed in such a way that he could have kept his high end. If you were really good at landing hooks, well, I would have the spread change was a really bad change because as, as fun as it is and was to like just blast people away with the right click from like insane range when the spread was made like 20% tighter or whatever. That was like really fun to play Roadhog during that because it was like, wow, like I just like fearlessly throw hooks because I just have like, I'm like better than half the DPS in the game. So it's not a big deal. I can just man up without hook. But that's a big problem to me. Like I, I think hook should, should have stayed the central part of his kit. I totally agree. Hitbox needed to be smaller. It needs to be harder to do. Yeah. But when they made that spread change, Roadhog felt so oppressive because it didn't feel like missing hooks mattered because he just started fighting after he missed hook. He just like would throw hook and then just keep going in. I feel like prior to that on Roadhog, you had to be a little more scared when you had no hook cooldown. Um, although, you know, to be fair, it was six seconds. 
Um, so there's less time. But during those six seconds of downtime, you're extremely vulnerable because a tracer at mid-range hitting every, like at the range at which he hits almost every headshot on you was not one-shottable um, with the left click. And then when they changed the spread, Tracer became so much easier to deal with. Like you could one-shot these squishies so much easier. And it felt like you just couldn't – those characters felt much, much harder to play against Roadhog with that spread well, change. It, you changed and the it, identity. It, it, you changed it deleted the, identity. the counterplay. Yeah, it changed yeah, the identity of the character. But also like the whole fun part of interacting with Roadhog, the whole high-scale part, the reason I thought he was a good character in the game, was Hook, he's so powerful. He's got the hook up. You're scared. He's like – there was a whole metagame of like maybe I just never throw the hook. Maybe I just keep shooting at you. What are you going to do about it? You'll never commit because I always have hook. You know, like if you're a really smart player, you'd be very tactical about when you're actually going to commit to throwing a hook. You'd, you'd want to make get them all their cooldowns out before you actually give it to them. But you know, with the spread change, it didn't feel like it mattered. You know, like the roadhog misses hook, you just it's like it didn't feel like you got anything out of it. You counterplayed the hook, you outplayed the roadhog. It was like that's sick, that's impressive, it's and you get nothing from it because he's going to keep fighting you. And right. that I think is a huge problem. Like you know, that that's what probably made the character feel so frustrating, uh, especially for lower skill players. All right, well. Um... Why don't we wrap that up? Even though we spent like about thirty minutes on that talk, and uh, we still got like a few things to talk about. But uh, why don't we talk about some of the events since we we had one conclude, which was Overwatch Contenders, and then we've got Apex uh, Season Three that's wrapping up very very soon here. Uh, but Overwatch Contenders uh, finished up. Obviously, ZP, you know, you, you were uh, part of the uh, casting and production side of things, and then uh, Jake, you know, obviously you played in the playoffs too. So uh, why don't we start with EU? So EU and I ended up winning. Uh, in EU, ended up defeating a one-two-three actually in the finals. And um, anything worth noting about the EU that uh, you guys want to talk about? I'd say a few things. One is yeah. that United is definitely remarkably solid, and two is that EU is interesting. I feel like a lot of the teams right now have pretty glaring weaknesses. Uh, you and the level of play in EU right now is not as consistent as I think you're seeing in counterpart regions where, I mean, this is unpopular opinion, man, where some people go, wait, what are you talking about? I thought EU was stronger than A. And actually I think one of the things that came out there is that while I think United would give a good fight to a lot of the teams in NA, I don't think they would beat Immortals right now. And taking a look here, I just, I don't know. There's a sloppy play coming out there. So I, it felt like a somewhat rough showing for EU in the sense where a lot of teams weren't, quite as organized as you would have expected coming in felt like one two three lost not that united won honestly really okay i was i mean all right that's I mean, that's i, I should say that. that's well, that's like that's so like that's, definitely that's more than i mean yeah. like they played play, they played good overwatch you know like they outplayed them and, and they deserve the win yeah. don't get me wrong but you know like it, you just watch like korean teams play and you know they're 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 not making these kind of mistakes so the question has to be asked i mean and that's this is true even comparing to stuff like na i mean there's some teams like immortals that have I think really recently shown that maybe there is potential in NA to sort of compete with the sort of hyper-focused, hyper-organized style in Korea. Um, but I haven't seen anything in EU that makes me think that, um, that that's like, you know, gonna, that, that same level of skill and competitiveness is going to come out of that region, at least currently. Although, you know, teams like 1-2-3 just burst onto the scene from absolutely yeah, nowhere. That was, so yeah, no, well, to me, I like, think- there, there's a ton of potential so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is like this is how it's going to be and like EU sucks or whatever. But the status quo seems not that NA is super great. You know, Korea still seems to be the best region by a pretty fair margin. Um, you know, okay. I do think that that EU is is a little bit lagging behind, I guess. But maybe that's that's part of it is also to think about how many quote unquote NA teams are European players that move to North America for sponsorship. Right. Sure. Sure. So how right. much of it so, is so really just the sponsorship landscape? 
and how much of it is regions. I, I think it's probably more sponsorship, honestly. You're hearing a few points there. One is that there's been a brain drain in you to some extent. We're like, we did legitimately see some like cool standout stories of players, like mistakes definitely looked really cool. For example, for one, two, three, and like there's good storylines and personal skill, but I'd say the name of it for Europe across the board, with the exception of probably EU and laser kittens when they were playing well, is that it did feel like coaching and coordination was somewhat lacking compared to where it should be. And part of that, I think is if you take a look at that, there's not as much, endemic org supporting you right now a lot of the orgs did move to eu or a lot of organizations put their resources in na more accurately so it just felt like there was some flaws coming out where it's just like great personal skill is still abound but there's just weirdness in the way that some of the matches uh came about in eu is the way i would say things there but i mean i will say this is that it's a really good storyline for united where united they've been rewarded for being consistent for a long period of time where they got over their second place uh, curse so to speak they came out with a first place performance in a very high end major so i mean it's really good for united and all props to them it was just it was interesting watching eu there in some cases particularly like you had games like the bazooka puppies 1 2 3 game where you just saw some weirdness <laughs> that was a strange series, <laughs> definitely. Um, but I would say, actually, this was a success for 1, 2, 3, too. I mean, the, the whole point of contenders, right, is to let people show, like, this be a proving grounds for folks. And I think more so on the EU side than NA, and partially because there are a lot more notable, I, I think, brands that we, we come to, to know in esports on the NA side. But with EU, you know, there were a good number of, of teams that a lot of people didn't know anything about, and they got exposure, you know, and, and the players themselves, too. And 1, 2, 3, from the like obviously on the the final day, like performed really really well compared to all the others. So, um, you know, I think the EU side of things was like successful in terms of what it was trying to accomplish, you know, um, contenders wise. Um, all right, why don't we talk about NA? And uh, you know, obviously, Jake, you you uh, competed in the NA side of things. Uh, Immortal ended up winning, and they played well the entire tournament. I mean, how when's the last time we said that about an NA tournament? where we had a tournament span six weeks that one team just played great the entire time. Are you, are you just saying this to trigger Jake? Because oh, you can man. basically you say that about LG this, Evil no, and Carbon is... series up until the finals. So, wow, Chad, man. Immortals is the number one NA team right now. I want to see them play against um, <laughs> Rogue and Envy because those are the only two teams that can compete with them. Yeah, it's so, it's so amazing because, you know, they've obviously made Maybe. some changes. Re- they made some changes recently. Like, the changes were still pretty fresh going into contenders. And so they've been able to get this ship righted very, very quickly with, with new pieces. And I mean, what we're seeing is like a, not only just a brand new immortals, but potentially the, you know, top NA team, at least that's not playing in Korea, you know, uh, that, that we've seen uh, or just at least in the last month. I really do think that a theme of overwatch. So I would say like earlier phases of Overwatch were very much dominated by, in a sense, like DPS players got a lot of the glory, rightly or wrongly. I feel like we've definitely hit an era of Overwatch where tank and support play is truly paramount. And you have to look no further than how Immortals was able to evolve, where they made two replacements, where they uh, got rid of Nomi, they got rid of Ethan. And, you know, all respect to those players, but there was the perception that 
they were weaker and had like clear flaws for Immortals. And yeah. if you take a look at the results Immortals has had since making the changes, well, it's hard to argue with that perception. Immortals has been very dominant. They're able to be aggressive where they weren't able to be aggressive before. And sure, they're still backed up by great DPS play. I mean, you have Agility just playing out of his mind every match. <laughs> but when you look at the transformation, Agility's was still the same player when they had Nomi and Ethan. It's after changing up their tanks and supports and getting much more cohesive engagements that actually were well supported. You saw a completely different side of the mortals that frankly has been really difficult to stop for most teams in the scene. Uh, Nomi was middle of pack Winston or middle, middle of the pack Reinhardt, uh, not competitive on Winston. Uh, Ethan was pretty good on Ana, you know, middle of the pack again, I would say, and also not that competitive on Zen. Then you pick up fate who is in my opinion right now, the best Winston playing in North America uh, just watch him play. I mean, this guy's, he doesn't make mistakes, uh, less than any other Winston I've ever seen. Um, at least, you know, in the NA scene. So, you know, it, it's, an, it's a great pickup for the meta. I'll be interested to see how he plays on like Ryan, if Ryan ever comes back or if maybe they just get a sub or something and put him in on Ryan, who knows? Um, then you also look at Kareev who it, it could easily, you know, is best Zen. And I mean, I'd say the, the, the competition is a little thicker for Zen. Maybe you've got players like Unko, mm-hmm. um, we got players like Rolf, you know, who are just insanely dominant on that character. But Kareev has shown that he has absolutely no slouch and is ready to play for that best Zen and NA title on any given day. Um, you know, so I think those pickups are insanely good for them. And those two characters, especially enabling a player like Agilities, who I think is also the best Genji in the West. Um, just he's a much better Genji than me. Like I played against him a bunch of times. He's better than me. Um and, you know, especially on that character, that's his best character, I think, probably better than Roadhog, uh, especially with this much practice. So he's got that perfect combo of, like, Zen, Winston, Genji, all, like, if not the best in the region, they are certainly competitive for that title. Then you have Grim Reality, who's no slouch on Tracer. Um, Hyped is a very, very intelligent D.Va player. I think is a very good hero for Hyped. Um, and then Verbo, again, a very talented Lucio. That, you know, you did, the roster just has no cracks right now. Um, I'll be interested to see how it goes, you know, transitioning to new metas, especially if there's any communication issues uh, with Korean players, but the fact that they have a Korean coach suggests to me that this could be a team that's going to be around for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, Immortals, the other thing that's worth noting here too, and you can't touch on that is that Immortals has a really good organization behind the scenes. Uh, They recently just revamped their organizational and coaching structure uh, in the back lines. They got some very, very qualified people to come in and they already had qualified people to begin with. So the brains behind the organization, they're very smart about how they handle things. So Immortals, they're going to be good for the foreseeable future. And I just want to touch on one thing here too, just to sort of supplant the previous point about tanks and supports is that, and you know, I'll throw this to Jake as well, but th- there's two examples I want to bring up here in terms of why it's so important right now. One is that you take a look at FNR GFE, where huge difference in their play when they didn't really have a great diva player of the level of Matt, and then they add in Matt. Like it's a night and day difference where they suddenly go to <laughs> a team that very easily could have made it to the finals with a few other things going their way. I mean, they're still newer. Then you take a look at, say, how LG Evil is playing, where LG Evil, you guys had a slump for a long time there, Jake, and I think a lot of the slump came from the part where you guys weren't comfortable playing dive to the maximum, uh, whatever it was between Super and Rob 420, you guys, like, it wasn't quite there for a while, and then you guys did click and had a much better showing in the group stages of contenders. So tanks and supports right now are just really incredibly important. I'd say Winston's the hardest character to play in the current meta. Like by by far, requires the most skill of any character. Like the most 
maybe not skill because that's you know like tracer is super decision hard right making. you can't really compare it but yeah, yeah decision making making the wrong decision on winston could instantly lose your team the fight no matter what your team does like your team could all pop off simultaneously and you'll still lose if your winston feeds um and the winston making the right decision just lets you show up to the party you know and so that, it doesn't win you the game necessarily but like you definitely have no chance if your winston isn't good uh, and on top of that, your Winston can make the right decision. And if your Diva isn't making the right supporting decisions, protecting the Winston at the right times, but also peeling for the backline at the right times, uh, you know, those characters are shining. I think, like you said, like DPS characters have gotten a lot of love for a really long time. But I think partly that's because of the way the meta works. You know, when you're running triple tank, like Genji, for instance, is a style I really like to play. Um, and we're particularly good at, I would say, the triple tank meta uh, on LG. Part of that is because you're, when a Genji, you're playing Genji in that comp, you actually have like, every cooldown on your entire team is like dedicated to making sure the Genji does well. Like you have Zarya bubbles, you know, you have your, your comboing dash resets on things that get hooked for so free dash resets. You know, you're, you're comboing shatters. You're taking every nano boost, you know, it's like you are getting everything. Like it is like, if you're not going huge and getting team wipes, you're actually probably just losing the game for your team. Like it's not, it's not enough just to do that. Like, the team wipes are an expectation. There's a lot of pressure yeah. on them. But now the Genji is like, not that the Genji is any less important or that skill is, you know, any less required, but you're not going to, you know, if there's no grab, there's no nano, there's no, um, no, the, there's no shatter, right? You're not going to see these like huge kill fees or like, oh my God, this Genji is insane. You know, if you get like a 4K, 5K on Genji now, it it's is impressive. really impressive, impressive to me. Like when I see that, when I, and I, I only see players like Agility's doing that. I see players like Shadowburn doing that because they're the best Genjis in the West. You know, it's like, it really does take that kind of skill to show that performance today. Whereas I think, honestly, it was overblown. I, I know I was, I was sometimes watch cast and people would be like, wow, what a big play by Jake. I'm like, I actually just left like the grab like six times. It's not like, that doesn't make me good at the game. But now you see Genji's doing well. Now you know it means something uh, in a much bigger way. Mm-hmm. And now, whereas previously, like, you know, a Reinhardt or, you know, even a Zarya was like, probably not going to do huge things and get like a kill feed. But now, you know, the off tanks, your Diva could get a triple bomb or a key boop or you know, maybe more subtle plays that you don't see, like knocking a Winston out of a Diva bubble or a Winston bubble, but they're, you know, just as game winning as something like a Nanoblade. Yeah, I mean, the, the onus on, on getting frags is is distributed a lot better now, and that's that's generally good for the game. There's a lot of DPS players that complain about that sort of thing, but whiners. at the same time, <laughs> whiners. But overall, I think it's actually good for uh, Overwatch to have that kind of distribution. Um, okay, well, why don't we move on to Apex Season 3 because there's a lot to talk about there. Um, and, uh, why don't we start off with the uh, Lunatic High AFB match, uh, the semifinal match, before we get into the Emmy match. So, Lunatic High ended up beating Africa Blue 4-0. Spoilers for any of the... <laughs> I should have warned you guys beforehand, but, uh, since... It la- wow, it, thanks for the... It happened a week ago, forward. okay? Like, if you didn't watch it, then shoot, you're, you're just not following esports at all. So, True. all right. So anyways, they ended up dominating 4-0, and a lot of people were surprised at this, given that AFB was 15-0 and coming into this match. Uh, so the first thing, I guess first off, before we talk about like maybe just the players individually, first off, was AFB, like, did they just have a bad day in y'all's opinion, or um, you know, did they just have like an easy, much more of an easier path getting there. So the, the 15-0 was really misleading as to how, how good they were performing or how, or who they've played. I, I love that stat line. The 15-0 was really misleading. It's just if, it was like going to FL game. The, yeah, yeah, the 42-0 is just misleading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you guys think? Like, did AFB just, just play bad that day or was was it more Lunatic High just being incredibly awesome? Anybody? <laughs> does that win? 
Uh, okay. I see Miro putting a little bit of that that smackdown on Mano for talking okay, a little okay, bit too so much. Okay, so if, if we want to get into that, I like okay, that. I okay, like that. Okay, if we want to get into that, all right. So leading up to that, Mano had a an interview where he basically was talking trash at, at Miro, saying that Miro's Winston, uh, you know, it's definitely not as good as mine. <laughs> you know, basically, right? And um, I don't know why team people do this. Okay, like why? Like in any sports. I mean, why do you just poke the bear? Like, there's nothing that can be good from from talking trash to another team because all it ever does uh, is motivate them. All it ever this, does. This is, is not entirely them. true. I mean, some, some people spaghetti when people are like talking smack yeah, about but them. Not or whatever, at this but, level. It, it, like, come on. Well, yeah, like obviously she's pretty childish to me. Pretty jejune. Look, I, I'm just for me. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not recommending people go on trash talk, but to say the idea that it doesn't affect people at the highest level is just. Outright yeah, but, wrong. There's there's plenty of examples, even in traditional sports, uh, particularly like the NBA is a great example of players getting shit talk and just letting a player completely into their head. No, no, sure. Can, no, it, no, can no, it backfire? No. Can you get to the idea of bulletin board material where it backfires and you get wrecked because now the guy's like special motivation? Sure, that can happen. But it, it's just a matter of like who you're talking shit to. There's plenty of instances of shit talk and again you, you just point the traditional sports here of it getting to people's okay. heads and arguably i mean who knows how it went behind the scenes but then there's the entire idea of like did michael shit talk backfire versus c9 like C- oh, yeah, yeah. Garner so, still won so so like right. i'm just saying i don't think it's really fair to make a carte blanche statement that oh shit talk backfires because there's definitely examples where that's not the case okay when you're talking about shit talking during a game okay if they were talking to each trash and trying to get in each other's head like like in the game you could you could do you could have comms across teams then you know that's one thing you know basketball everybody knows michael jordan just like the freaking craziest shit talker on the on you know just on the basketball court and he was getting people's heads all the time lots of people were doing that like mark charles barkley whatever right but in terms of like beforehand on social media and things like that you know, the, the thing about shit-talking somebody, like Mono here, is that if you shit-talk somebody, he ends up winning, nothing comes from it. But if you shit-talk somebody and you lose because they were super motivated to shut you down, that's when it's just like, why, like, why, even, say, like, why even say anything? <laughs> like, there, what's to be gained about saying anything there? So it's just like, I don't even understand it. And well, sure enough, we saw it. it. We saw that happen during that match. I mean, Sure, but that's just a case where you, you did not choose your opponent wisely for that. It's like you probably don't want to, for example, to use the NFL, it's probably not a great idea to talk about how the Patriots are overrated or something before going in the Foxborough. That hasn't worked out well for teams. But if you know that a player has a history of tilting off the face of the earth, and otherwise, then maybe it's worth doing. Like, you know, give an example here. I don't know if this would work or not, but if you want to take a gambit on a player in the NA scene right now, like deciding to have a little bit of pre-match banter with XQC, you know, <laughs> maybe that works wow. out in your favor. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I'm not saying it would. I'm just saying that, like, there's a possibility there that stop revealing my strands. See, see now, now you're just motivating the Canadian team, ZV. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Well, like, something <laughs> needs to motivate them, Chan. Man, something. Oh needs my to goodness! Stop fire! Is, you're not wrong. Oh man, man. But uh, anyways, the point is, is that Lunzikai obviously had. I it felt like to me that Miro and the team had added motivation, not only to beat AFB, but to shut Mono down too. And they, they did a great job of, 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 you know, definitely isolating him, not necessarily killing him first, you know, or really focusing him that way, but they totally negated the effectiveness of Mono. And Mono is arguably the best, you know, Winston right now. So um, Miro, not, you know, like 
Miro is definitely right up there too in that discussion. So you know him just saying ah Miro's Vincent's yeah whatever, you know is definitely a slap in his face. But yeah, I don't know what do y'all what y'all's take on that? I mean, I think part of it is like I know like OGN tries to like dramatize that, and that's sort of like what they want to some extent. And I mean, I don't know if that's like an edited interview. I think I'm sure I think it's an OGN's interest to do things like that. Oh, really? uh, I mean, I'm sure he said okay. what he said, but you know, okay. maybe they may, maybe they amp it up a little bit. Maybe they you know move a little little teensy bit of context. Who knows? I, I didn't see the exact the like, clip in question, so I can't I can't say for sure. I think at the end of the day, it's like. Uh, you know, it's the rare player that takes these things like a little too seriously and actually like, you know, holds a grudge, you know, usually it's going to be something that you think about maybe if you think about it, you know, during the match or before the match or something while you prepare, maybe you're a little extra motivated, but I think in the long run, like if you're the type of player to like form grudges, then you're just not the type of player who has the right mindset to be the best of the best. Like you're just not going to get there because if you're being distracted by something like what another player thinks about you, then you Probably don't have what it takes in the first place. I'll give you a counter argument. The greatest basketball player ever to play was a guy who held grudges. Like, was even calling out names during his Hall of Fame speech for whatever freaking crazy. Michael reason, Jordan okay? was a very petty man. Like, I mean, let's just be crazy. Clear. Okay, so this That's guy is the like the epitome of that type of person, and he's the greatest basketball player. So I'm sure the physicality of sports probably makes it more relevant to like actually kind of hate people. Maybe that makes you more motivated or something. But being angry doesn't make you hit shots. Where it might make you like knock somebody over on the basketball court, and you know maybe that's actually a good thing. Okay, yeah, I, I know what you mean by that. I will note here, by the way, just as sort of broader comment on the uh, should talk and otherwise, that I, I do find one more interesting thing in esports because y- you have segments of people who are just like, I just wish everyone be good manner, GGs, well played, etc. Like where's the sportsmanship? That's... But generally speaking, the it's the intrigue, like. The way I would generally look is that you don't have dark without the light. I'm not saying that you go full to Fran. Go going full to Fran is going too far, right? N- never go full to Fran. But like, there's something you said for ha- having a little bit of a villainous persona from time oh, to time, where like that very ZP. much gets people involved. ZP, so. like we love, like we as people who do shows and you know pundits or whatnot, we love this stuff. You know, we love being able to talk about this stuff. It's just. I'm just talking about the the logic and rationale behind it because it it blows up a lot, you know. And you know, just look at say the look at the Warriors, right? Look at the Golden State Warriors this, this last year. I felt like they just said nothing the entire year because in last year, you know, you had Draymond Green basically doing this this type of um, you know very you know trash talk or whatever, or, or just you know being very free with how he was very confident about things. And in some ways, it, I think it quietly blew up on him. And he had a little bit of a meltdown too last year. So there's other things too, but I, I don't think it helped them for sure where they might've been able to finish it out if, if they just kept Cleveland down and, and just, you know, in the dumps and not motivated them by, in any fashion. So I just, for me personally, I just think that it's usually smarter just to shut up and perform than to, you know, go and, and blast because there's a chance that you're going to, you're going to pay for it even by embarrassment or just by motivating the other team. Well, yeah, there's when it comes to risk reward, being villainous definitely carries a lot more risk for minor reward. Like the minor reward <laughs> yeah, is that wow, sure. he back he backed up his talk. That's like plus ten percent. The <laughs> downside is wow, you talked all the smack and you got wrecked. That's like a negative three thousand percent. So yeah, I mean risk reward is definitely not in your favor, but it's also sports, any sort of competition in general, this is something that people like have fiery passion for. This is where you don't oftentimes you don't get to become one of the best unless you think you're the best and 
mentally you do disrespect your opponent somewhat. So that's what encourages people to come out with the stuff, but yeah. it also gives them the drama and intrigue. So, but anyways, bringing it back to I guess just generally the whole matchup. So Lunatic guys, man, they they find that moment every single season to to peak out at the right time, and obviously they're peaking out again at, in the playoffs and or at least at the end of groups and into the playoffs. So. um what do you think has been the biggest difference with them? They seem to all be in sync. Ito seems to have fit in greatly now that who are used, you know, just completely out. And it's been a while now since he's, he's played with them. So, well, I mean, the, clearly the discipline of who are you and the swap up has worked out towards the end. I still need yeah. to mm-hmm. deep dive and analyze some of the apex stuff a little bit more deeply. Like I've been catching up since being in Denver, but, okay. uh, I mean, it's one of those things where anytime you make a roster move, there's the potential of it backfiring horrifically, but the coaches clearly knew what they were doing. Okay, well, uh, why don't we move on to the next matchup, which was Envy, obviously a lot of uh, favorite team, uh, at least here in the West. Uh, so they ended up facing KDP again, but this time, um, you know, actually Envy went into the match as a favorite by most. Uh, even a lot of Korean analysts and, and, and coaches were feeling that they, Envy was going to beat KDP here. But it ended up being quite the opposite. KDP ended up winning 4-0, and... Um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it wasn't like complete domination, even though it was 4-0. Like three out of the four maps, I felt like were pretty, pretty close. Uh, there was only one map that was really, really bad, I think, for Envy. But um, overall, you know, what do you think was the, the difference? You know, if we were to get, you know, really deep dive into the specifics here, what was the big difference here? I actually think, um, you know, I've heard a lot of complaints, I would say, from NA players in Apex. And I actually think that you should probably maybe it's, it's easy to look at those as like, oh, wow, they're just complaining because the Koreans are so good or whatever. But uh, I, I'd say, you know, to give them a little bit more respect and credence than that, uh, you know, this is incredibly taxing on an NA team. Like you just live in a hotel for like months. Like, I, I mean, I, the longer the tournament goes, the more like crappy you feel, the more like time of being burnt out. Like, I totally understand that because – I'm, and I'm sure every player, regardless of whether they you know make a post about it, feels that way to some extent. You know, especially if you're living in a hotel in a foreign country, which you don't speak the language like whatsoever. Anytime you need to talk to somebody that's not like your teammates, you need a translator. Like, I mean, I, I could just imagine that being incredibly mentally taxing. You know, not that it's impossible to succeed, but if a, if a Western team ever wins Apex, regardless of like what the rest of the competitive scene looks like, I'll honestly be surprised just because of how like hostile an environment it is for an NA team. Uh, or, or, you know, for that matter, any non-Korean team. So, I mean, I mean I, I'm not that surprised, but... Apex. Yeah, yeah I, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like just like, I, like I the NA team doing well is like, would be more impressive than just meaning that they're the best. Like, I think you have to be better than... You have to have more going for you than just being better than everyone else um, but by a little margin. Like, maybe, you know, uh, uh, where, where, you know, everything else perfectly situated, maybe you could just be 1% better and that would be enough. I think it takes more than that to win as a Western team at Apex. Well, uh, the one thing I'll say there is that living out of a hotel is definitely rough. I mean, even uh, for contenders, I was doing that there, and that's just casting where I don't have to, you know, you have to watch VODs do team prep, but you don't have to worry about keeping mechanical skill up in a hotel room. So, I mean, living out of a hotel is very tough. And I, one thing I note about Envy there, too, is that they've been on that grind for a really long, long time. time. I mean, yeah. effectively, their Apex grind, like, began a very long time ago when they were already on a grind before that with Atlantic Showdown, into mm-hmm. E-League, into Korea, into more Korea, into more Korea. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's I hope they get a break. I, I really do after this. Like, just go and 
chill for a little bit, you know, and then get those batteries recharged and come back. I mean, the problem is with esports is that you can't really have that long of a break, especially in a time where, for example, Doomfist is about to come out. Metas are going to evolve. So if you're deciding we need a break to recharge and you're taking that break right as people are getting at least go home at least go yeah, home. going yeah. going home is the big thing you can like, take a vacation I, you know? I, like I, you can't maybe you don't take a month but maybe you a take a week yeah. or two of that i mean that, that makes yeah. a big difference a week to just yeah. not worry about yeah. stuff is like that's a that's a, that matters a lot i mean i i can say personal experience lg actually just took our first break in eight months as a roster and it was like we, we take we took three days off and i was like <laughs> like exhale like just like a lot of like whew, weight off my shoulders i'm going back to scrimming tonight but i just feel so much better than i did you know, four days ago, because it just, like, you know what I mean? Like taking one off day a week for eight months is, is pretty tiring. And then you just take a few days and you just relax. You're still playing ranked. You know, you're not totally out of the loop. Like, you know, you're playing some playing games, Hearthstone. but yeah, you're exactly. not, yeah, exactly. Playing some Hearthstone, just having a swell time, you know, streaming like that totally recharges your batteries. I mean, not totally, but it makes a big difference. And if you don't get that kind of break for, for month after month after month, it just, it stacks up, it stacks up, it stacks up. Uh, you know, that's what time we said. And I think that's the way a lot of pro field players feel. It's absolutely the way I feel. Uh, you know, it's 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 not as easy as it seems, I guess, to be a pro game. Well, it definitely the is. big thing I'd say for Envy is that yeah. if nothing else, even though they did not have a bad performance, I mean, certainly they got very deep into the playoffs. It, it, it probably would have been worth knowing is that it might have been better for them to simply go on the NA circuit. Because, I mean, and Envy does provide very nice apartments for their players. And they have a great setup where they have good apartments, okay, I mean, a good we... working area, and they they've barely had to they've barely gotten to use it effectively as they've been in Apex twenty four. Yeah, but okay, so I kind of want to get back to the actual match itself, and you know, and I mean, we're kind of alluding to them basically just fatiguing, and I think what we're saying is they didn't play up to their the caliber of play that they could have played at is what I'm you know de- uh, at least pulling from this discussion. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is Envy belongs there. I mean, they should be playing these teams and they should be trying to play to be the best player, you know, like in, in the world, not just NA. So, you know, having to come back and, and just be on the NA circuit, not sure if that's right or wrong. It's always good to build your confidence and maybe, you know, just win some tournaments if that, you know, if you are the favorite in doing that. But totally don't blame them for playing in that. They deserve to be here because they are, are one of the best teams. Um, what I saw was just, I felt like KDP was more prepared. They seem to be a little bit quicker, you know, than, than, you know, just envious that day. Like, um, you know, Bergen, I think played just slightly, you know, he definitely did play better than effects. And we, we don't see that happen very much, even though those two are probably two of the best, uh, tracers in the world. But, um, you know, Bergen just seemed to make bigger plays at the right moment. You know, Pulse Bomb is hitting time at certain, you know, just right moments. And, and, um, that was the difference on a lot of these maps, just those type of plays. Uh, so, you know, it was close. And like it, they could have very well, if like you know, one of effects pulse bombs would have hit the right person, or Taimu just would have, you know, it would have just missed Taimu and some of those pulse bombs. It would have gone like a completely different way. So, um, you know, the four zero, I think there was a bit misleading. Um, well, it, it was. It could have been closer for sure. Look, in general, one thing that you're seeing a lot more in Overwatch overall, period, and you have to have this veil for any matchup that you're watching is that it is a variable game. It's not a game where unless there's a gigantic gap between teams, you can always have days where one team just literally comes out and is surprising and does more than expected. And I mean, it goes both ways too, right? Where, you know, unfortunately, hate to mention it while he's on broadcast, but you take a look at a team like LG Evil, right? Where they put on oh, a very good, Yeah, you put yeah, on a consistent honest. performance for the entire group stages, and then you get to playoff day, and you guys 
unfortunately for you, just kind of suck on that day. And well, you don't go forward. But I mean, that happens to teams like LG Evil is actually a good example because you guys have had plenty of times where you put on a really good performance in group stages or otherwise. And then eventually you get to a single limb and there's just one day where it goes bad or you have it in reverse where like for a monthly melee, you would have a bad group stage and then do really well on the playoff days. So, I mean, there is variability in the game. Sure. It varies from team to team. So there's definitely variability, but I wouldn't say that Andy like dropped off big time on that day. I mean, KDP, they, they did make some strategic changes too that were meant to throw off Envy a bit, like playing Widow like on Attack on Hanna Moore just to to move you know some of their characters around or just to force certain positions on and Envious just part on one of Envious's favorite maps too. You know, that was purposeful. Now that was definitely strategic that the, you know, strategic move they made beforehand. And even a somber pick, I think at the end of Route 66 was a super interesting pick too that ended up I think costing uh, Envy uh, that map too. And that was I felt like that was something they decided beforehand too on just the last point on on Route 66 to to maybe you know hack off certain certain uh, med, med kits that Envious uh, was using in the prior. But overall I just felt like KDB was a bit more prepared and just on a on an up day. But I don't think MBS by far was on a bad day. I mean, they still played well. They just, you know, if you want to win Apex, you have to play, you have to have your A game, like, every time you go out there. And they probably just had their B game. And, you know, that's unfortunate for them. Um, but anyways, leading up to the end of this, kind of wrap it up, who do you think is going to win? Lunatic High or KDP? Which else? Mm. Yes. They're Lunatic both- High. Yeah, I think, I think going for LH here is probably the safer battle, though. Again, I think given everything we've game, talked about, is that I'm not necessarily gonna be surprised if it goes the other way around. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, I I would say leading into the semifinals, I, and, and I, if you told me that Lunatic High and KDP were playing each other, absolutely pick Lunatic High. Um, but looking at KDP after that performance against Envious, man, it's definitely a lot closer than I would think. But I'm, I think I'm gonna still take Lunatic High here. Just given that they've been there before too, they've been in the finals. This is the first finals that Katie, any Kungdu team has ever made it to, right? So, this is a big moment for the organization and the team. All right. Well, anyways, when is the finals? By the way, is it Tuesday or Friday? It's uh, it's one of those days. I think they usually give them a week, right, to to really prepare fully. So, I have to look again at the schedule, but it's definitely sometime next week. Definitely check that out on Twitch.tv/ognglobal when you get a chance. Um, all right, we're actually at 90 minutes. Why don't we just uh, go through maybe one or two questions real quick and then wrap wrap up. Um, okay, so we got a question from Heron452. Something that's been on my mind as we talked about Overwatch uh, League is... Hold on a second, I'm changing the title here. <laughs> I'm trying to read and change the title. Um, and the growth of esports in general is the accessibility Overwatch is obviously incredibly demanding. Not only in terms of graphics and hardware, but also the internet connection. Unlike traditional sports, we don't have gyms and baseball fields that are publicly available. So a lot of people just don't have the money to even play Overwatch. In Korea, there's PC cafes that let people like Kaiser play Overwatch, but don't have that. they don't have that commonly here. Do you think that that will hurt the growth of esports overall? Do you think that companies like Riot and Blizzard should invest in PC cafe-like businesses? Big fan of the show. Yeah, so what do you guys think? Should there be more, I guess, internet cafes and that have games that are readily available for, for people, PC bongs, I guess, essentially here in, in the U.S.? I mean, that's already happening more on the collegiate level. Like, as you get more support for collegiate esports, one oh, of the good point. outcropping yeah. there is going to be that you're going to have more PC cafes 
basically as support within college campuses. So that alone is going to add quite a bit to it. I, I think in terms of the idea of like PC cafes as a let's go there type of thing, it's a little bit difficult in the U.S. in terms of price to like you have to charge high rates that a lot of people that would go don't necessarily have maybe mm-hmm. in the future. But I think the future is just sort of I, I think the college level for that is going to be pretty good. OK, yeah, that's a good point. Jake, what do you think, man? Uh, I mean, I think the accessibility thing is, um, especially with Overwatch being on a console. I mean, I guess it's weird because you can't really play competitively on console. It doesn't. I mean, I don't know what they do, but there it's are, not like legit. It's not like I mean, like it's like you can't. It, it's it's always gonna be a problem because the fact of the matter is that you could just plug a keyboard and mouse in and you'd be better, which is like you know a big pretty big problem for consoles. I would say in terms of like competitive, because um, it's just it's never going to be the highest level available because no matter how good you are, you just plug in a mouse and you'll become better as soon as you adapt to that um, because it's just more precise, smart, it's quicker. You know, there's, there's, the reasons are obvious, PC master race. Um, but I, I think like, I don't know if like PC bangs, like that model is like exactly perfect for the States. Um, but one thing I will say is that um, in terms of like internet connection and hardware as Overwatch, I would say the rate of like, this isn't crisis, you know, like the rate of um, like PC requirements isn't like, skyrocketing you know it isn't it's cool that i see a game like overwatch that isn't all about although it does have you know relatively high pc requirements it's not all about let's get the best graphics possible like photorealistic just keep grinding on the graphics you know i think they did make some concessions to performance and to you know slightly older machines although you're not going to run to run this game on a really really old machine you know I, I myself got to top 500 in the first season when i was studying abroad in europe on a macbook pro with uh, boot camp so, no, uh, you know, you can do that. Like that's achievable. I mean, that was, I was already like a professional or whatever playing TF2 at the highest level. So like, you know, I had the experience, I had like a knowledge advantage on people, but I never played the beta, you know, like I didn't have that huge of an advantage on people. Um, so I think that, you know, a lot of the concerns people have are a little overblown. I think like the gains you get from having an insane top of the line, you know, state of the art setup compared to like barely running the game setup, the gains are real. Don't get me wrong, but they're not insurmountable. I don't know. I, I, this is a case where I'll push back on that somewhat. I think that it's great that Overwatch is accessible, but the reality is is that you have probably 97%, likely more of the player base that are simply at a technological disadvantage to the people that are playing behind. So, I mean, it depends what you want. If you want people to enjoy your game, like Overwatch is well-coded. Plenty of people can join the game. They don't have to be at the top level. But the reality is now we're at a point where you talk to most competitive players. They have at least 144 hertz monitor. Most of them have many of them rather have upgraded the 240. You have rigs that are able to get that level of FPS in the game to support it. And there's a very tangible difference in terms of tracking and how you play within the game to having those hardware advantages. So, I mean, it, that is sort of like the dirty little secret overwatch in the back is that your top level players are generally playing with like much better equipment than your lower level players. But th- that said, I mean, the game is still very much accessible to get you that first taste so that, you later on invest, I suppose. Yeah, I would I, say that Train, like, you know, not thought of as, like, a weak Tracer player or oh, something yeah, in North America. Right. Train was on sub 100 FPS right. until, like, a week ago or two weeks ago or Crazy. something. So I really don't, like, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm absolutely, if you, like, when you're a competitive player and the resources become available to you, you you would pay, like, $1,000 for a 2% gain, like, any day because, you're, you know, think of the, the risk-reward is, like, it's insane, right? Like, you, these orgs have the money. It's, like, you know, they have the sponsors and the computer parts. You know, it's, like, it's not that hard, honestly. And, you know, maybe the game's bigger than that. Maybe the game's like 15%, 20%. But 
But you know, even that isn't insurmountable. You know, this isn't a 50% gain. It's not like some insane, like you just can't compete unless you have the perfect hardware. You know, like I think that's just sort of like a, a, a myth by, you know, the, perhaps the people who stand a profit. Like, you know, I think if you can just get the game, play a PC, you know, like play Winston. Guess what? Like if you are very, very smart, very, very tactical. I mean, are you making, it, are you making an argument against PC hardware? Are you making an argument against Winston? No, no, no. I'm not, like, making, I'm not making an argument against PC hardware. You know, I, I just I just think that it's it's no, I overblown. Know what you mean. Not that it doesn't exist, not that there's no advantage. I get advantage, what you're saying. Because that's there, false, but, I, but it's, just, it's simply not true that you can't compete at the highest level without great hardware. You can't compete at the highest I mean, level with, like, totally trash hardware, but if you're getting, like, yeah. 60 frames, you, you can compete. You, you can be competitive. Maybe you can't be the best in the world without the best setup in the world. But the, the you can thing definitely is, though, get is that Overwatch, enough. as people get better, is becoming much more on the margins where 1% accuracy is literally the difference at times between winning a team fight cleanly and losing it horrifically. And better hardware very much helps in that. So, I mean, I, I think the point you're trying to make here is that you can get started in comp without the absolute best hardware. But I would say at the top end, you really do need to yeah. be competitive there. You can mm-hmm. certainly win enough money to buy the best hardware without the best hardware. <laughs> that's that's yeah, 100%. That's, that's, that's just a, a good fact. point, too. I won yeah. more money than you would need to buy a perfect PC with a crappy PC. Not a crappy PC. My mind was relatively nicer. But other players on my team, specifically Train, could have easily bought a much nicer PC with the money he earned playing on a PC that was like eight years old or something. Right, right. Yeah, and I would add the the last bit as um, I think just culturally speaking that PC banks just I don't think they would work here in the U.S. You know, like Blizzard going out, Riot going out and investing in PC banks. I don't think that would I don't think that would do that much to be honest. Where the collegiate play is what you know what ZP was talking about. I think is a much better place to really invest, and it's a much better attempt at something that can be successful too. You know. In the end, people have to make money. Like, if you're going to open these PC banks and stuff, it has to make money, you know. And it's not going to make money if, like, literally the only game that that you're you know trying to to promote in these things are are you know Blizzard games or just Riot games. In the U.S., like, people play so many different games, so it would have to be like a full out investment in all these type of games. And you know, we've seen with arcades and things like that, that that's not a good business here in the U.S. So I don't see that ever well, happening. But. Uh, part of the appeal of arcades, and this is going way back when as a complete tangent, but uh, arcades had the appeal that back in the day you could get way better graphics than you could possibly get home, where you're sitting at home yeah, with the Super that. Nintendo and the arcade has the equivalent of like a souped up N64. Like arcades were really cool. Eventually at a point where just like arcades could not offer a graphically superior experience in many cases. I mean, now they're trying to get back there with like VR stuff, but it was more sort of arcades had to go down the road of, yeah, but do you have a steering wheel and something that vaguely looks like a vehicle? And that clearly wasn't as big of a selling point as better graphics. Right. All right. Well, um, why don't we wrap up since Jake's got to get to scrims really, really soon, but um, you know, thanks for coming on, Jake. I know it was last minute, given that you know we had a couple drop off last minute. So I really, really appreciate you coming on, given that we no had worries, man. some great discussions on Doomfist and all the all the events. Any shout outs you want to do before you get going? Yeah, actually. Um, so I just if you're interested, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, which is uh, at Jake underscore Overwatch. Overwatch is fully spelled out. Um, but also, more importantly. If you're interested in such topics as Overwatch balance and game design, yeah, you should yeah. go over to check out mindgames.blog. That's all one word, mindgames.blog. Um, and I, on that blog, I post you know some pretty in-depth essays, I would say, examining things like the fundamentals of game design, uh, how balance is conducted, and, and you know sort of give my opinion and my ideas on those as a professional player. 
Uh, and I'm always looking for more feedback. So if you, you know, leave a comment, I really appreciate that. Let me know what you think. Um, and then Matt, thanks so much for having me again. It's uh, always a pleasure, Shane, man. Yeah. Those, those blog posts that he actually ended up making are really, really good. So definitely check that out, man. That's, that's cool that you started doing them. Cause you just started maybe like a few weeks ago, right? Starting to post. Yeah. It was about like a month ago or something. Yeah, I was yeah, just like, yeah. Oh yeah. I was like going to write one piece and the reaction was super positive. And yeah. I was like, you know, I could, there's so much I could talk about with this platform. <laughs> like I just feel like the feedback presented to blizzard is really like, even from the professional player base is like pretty hard to sift through, honestly. And I, I can empathize with their difficulty that, yeah. working with it. Yeah. But, you know, I just try to make more long form specific content uh, in a really accessible format. That's not like, you know, on the feedback for it or not like, you know, the feedback form where things sort Pro-talk, of come and yeah. go. So this is, yeah, our Pro Talk Pro Feedback. Um, I think it's a little bit better of a format. So, you know, hopefully it gets traction. Who knows? We'll see. Cool. ZP, want to do some shout outs? Yeah. Blog wise, I mean, I have much to shout out. I'll echo uh, what Jake shouted out and just say, yeah, you can follow me at TempoZP on Twitter. I'm easy today. All right, cool. And uh, same here. You can follow me on uh, at Chamian at, at Chamian V at, on Twitter. Uh, you can find the VODs for the overview as well as today's episode, which I'll post shortly after the show at youtube.com slash Chamian V. You can find us on iTunes also by uh, just searching for Overwatch or the overview, and you'll find us there as well as Google Play and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Chamian V. You'll find us there too. Uh, but anything else to shout out? Oh, I'm doing a streamer showdown Hearthstone edition tomorrow at 2 p.m. If you guys are interested in Hearthstone, I know a lot of you guys like streamer showdown, at least the one we did with Overwatch. Give me in on that, Shimmy. Get you in on the Hearthstone one? <laughs> I'll pop up. I'll take oh over. God, man. That'd be hilarious. No, but it's like, and I'm now featuring random Overwatch guys. <laughs> we, we, we should have Overwatch people doing Hearthstone. And Hearthstone Ooh, people doing I will. Overwatch. I'll, I'll, I'll enter in the Hearthstone tournament. So, that would be so I'm ready. Put, put I'm ready. on your Hearthstone. Yeah. I got to craft some cards. I got to buy some packs to make competitive decks. But I'll do it. That's not an it event. Was... It's like a game show. So it's just all your knowledge on the cards. That's all. That's all. Oh, okay. Required. I'll try. I'll try. I think yeah. I got some good game knowledge. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. So, anyways, you can check that out, guys, tomorrow on uh, Tice's channel. It's going to be Dog Tice, uh, Jackie Chan, and hosted by Noxious, of course. Tice, T H I J S H S. So, twitch.tv slash Tice H S. Uh, but that's going to be it, guys, for this week for the overview. So, for Jake, ZP, and myself, Chan Man V, we'll see you next week later or next Tuesday not next week not next Thursday but next Tuesday Later.